Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Friday. It's the 22nd of July. This is here first from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Employees who work at 28 Planned Parenthood clinics in five states, including Iowa, have voted to form a union. That's according to the National Labor Relations Board. Over 90 percent of workers who voted support the move. Ashley Schmidt, who works at Planned Parenthood facilities in Nebraska and western Iowa. As we move forward into what will be an incredibly challenging time, Having our union will ensure that all of our voices are heard. There are about 435 frontline employees at Planned Parenthood of North Central States facilities in Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, and the Dakotas. They are joining the Service Employees International Union, which has about 2 million members nationwide, many of whom work in health care. April Clark has worked for Planned Parenthood in Iowa for a decade and says negotiations will make sure there are adequate staffing levels. Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller and several law enforcement agencies are calling on lawmakers to take legislative action to reduce the number of fentanyl-related deaths. We get those details from IPR's Natalie Krebs. Attorney General Tom Miller says lawmakers should legalize the use of fentanyl test strips and expand access to naloxone, a drug that can reverse an opioid overdose. That's in order to combat the rapidly increasing rate of fentanyl-related deaths. There's no one thing that's going to solve this this problem, but pieces of different solutions uh, are, 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 are going are to really, really make, make, make a difference. Fentanyl-related deaths have spiked as more drugs are being laced with the cheaply produced substance. Miller says last year, 83% of opioid overdose deaths in Iowa involved fentanyl. Earlier this month, Governor Kim Reynolds and other state officials publicly warned Iowans against using fentanyl-laced counterfeit pills, but did not mention any possible legislative action. Lottery officials have raised the Mega Millions grand prize to $660 million, giving players a shot at the nation's ninth largest jackpot. The prize for tonight's drawing has grown so large because there hasn't been a winner in three months, allowing the jackpot to gradually grow from its $20 million starting point in April. Even as the big prize has increased, the odds of winning the jackpot have remained at 1 in 302.5 million. The highlighted pre-tax $660 million prize is for a winner who takes an annuity option paid out in 30 annual payments. Most players choose the cash option. Iowa Workforce Development says the unemployment rate dropped 2.6 percent in June, down one-tenth of a percent from May. Iowa Workforce Development Director Beth Townsend says that number is another milestone. 2.6 is where we were in February of 2020 before the pandemic impacted the rate at all. She says the leisure and hospitality industries saw the largest job gains. Townsend says there are still 43,000 Iowans who are looking for work and that one of the big issues facing employers is workers taking a job and then quitting after a short time. And the planned sale of an Iowa nursing home chain is in doubt again as the owner moves to close three of the ten facilities, and then also the federal government seeks a payment of $2.1 million owed to taxpayers. The Iowa Capital Dispatch reports the sale involves eight nursing homes and two assisted living facilities owned by QHC Facilities, That's an Iowa company that filed for bankruptcy late last year. 
Recently, QHC found a potential buyer for the 10 facilities. It's called Blue Diamond Equities. But there's now a dispute over whether the sale can proceed with QHC, still owing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines for poor quality resident care. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Beginning on Sunday, thousands of cyclists from nearly two dozen countries and all 50 states will pedal across Iowa in the annual bicycle ride called Ragbri. As IPR's Kendall Crawford tells us, some small towns along the route are using the big event as an opportunity to fundraise for the causes their communities need most. Jim Ham has lived in Nemaha his entire life. And throughout the years, he's watched as the small town of around 60 people in northwest Iowa has changed. He's seen the businesses and population slowly fade. It's tough to maintain small town. Used to be full of grandma and grandpas when I was young. Trick or treat went to every house, but now it's just a lot of people that you don't know. And grandma and grandpas go to assisted living and don't stay in town anymore. He doesn't want the same to happen to Nemaha's history. That's why he's raising money for a town museum. Ham has already used grants and local donations to construct a new building. But now, Ham says the town needs at least another $10,000 to furnish the inside of the building. So it can hold important moments in Nemaha history, like the Farmall Promenade. That's a fancy title for what is essentially a team of Nemaha men who square danced on tractors from the late 90s to 2008. The museum's show-stopping piece will be none other than one of the tractors that participated in the town's diesel-powered dosi-dos. And Ham is banking on Ragbri to help make that happen. He sees thousands of cyclists passing through his town as an opportunity too good to pass up. Hopefully in the end everybody's made some good money and he'll say, geez, I'm glad we did it and everything. Really with the music and everything, I think it'll just be like a big party. Nemaha certainly isn't the first town to use Ragbri as an opportunity to fundraise. Here on this quiet street about 20 miles away in Lytton, it's kind of hard to imagine crowds of people swarming around the serene homes. But that's exactly what Scott Matter says happened last year. The community used their first time on the Ragbri route to raise money for a new fire station. Matter organized the community around the effort to support emergency responders. It was personal for me because uh, when my mom had a medical emergency, they were the first ones there to help her. So uh, we wanted to pay for that fire station. Everybody came together and uh, we got it done. They did so by thinking outside of the box, or maybe more accurately, inside the barn. In addition to selling over 3,000 pies, Lytton hosted one of the largest lessons in goat yoga. Turn your palms to the sky. It was a hit. All said and done, the town raised $80,000. Matter says that was enough to pay off the entire note for the building and then some. Just proud. I mean, our town came through it just reinforced everything I believe about my small town, but Iowa in general. People dug in, they helped, um, they had fun, and we did some good, and that's a pretty good day. Just 10 miles over, a nonprofit in the town of Fonda is hoping to emulate that success. 
Judy Hess walks me over to the small town's basketball court. It's small, full of white cracks, with grass peeking through. The backboard looks worn and faded. Hess wants to change all that. She's a part of a local group called Moms and Grandmas for Fonda, or MAGS for short. They're dedicated to taking up causes that matter most to Fonda's kids, like basketball courts. We have really been lucky to get to go to state um, many times with the boys and girls. And so that's what these younger kids are looking for, practice and get to go to state. She says it's even more important now that the town lost its school to consolidation, leaving Fonda without a gym. All in all, she estimates Mags needs to raise around $30,000. That's why the group is pulling out all the stops. Their Rack by fundraiser will have a slip and slide, a pool, a photo booth, a DJ, pickle wraps, and root beer floats. Hess hopes being the last town on the day's route will mean a lot of people will stop to join the fun. That's what they tell us, so <laughs> we're ready. We are ready. Most of all, she says she's excited to show outsiders what the town is really made of. She wants them to see Fonda like she does, full of people who come together to make things better. In Western Iowa, I'm Kendall Crawford, IPR News. The concentration of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere now exceeds 420 parts per million. That's more than 50% higher than pre-industrial levels, and many industries are grappling with how to reduce or offset their carbon emissions. As Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin reports, the agriculture sector is becoming a front-runner in the race to reduce carbon. It's mid-April on Jason Lay's farm in Bloomington, Illinois. We're standing on one of his 75-acre fields, which during the growing season is covered with either corn or soybeans. And even though this is the off-season, Jason's field is green, dotted with a grass-like cover crop called cereal rye. And what that does is it helps hold the carbon dioxide or the greenhouse gases. It helps hold them so they don't get released out into the atmosphere. And these 75 acres of cover crops are holding a lot of carbon. Roughly, it would be about, hopefully, a ton an acre. So about 75 tons across this whole field. That's about the emissions equivalent of 15 gas-powered cars driven for one year. And while Jason's field is an island of carbon-sequestering cover crops, more and more farmers in the Midwest are experimenting with them, thanks in part to the newly budding carbon marketplace. I'd like to equate them to like the Wild West. Jason is part of Bayer's pilot carbon program, which works like this. Let's say there's a company that needs to offset their carbon emissions. Maybe they pledge to reach carbon neutrality within a certain period of time. They can go to Bayer and purchase carbon credits, which basically offset their emissions. Bayer then pays Jason to plant cover crops, which act as the carbon offset for the company. Carbon programs like Bayer's are popping up all across the agriculture industry, and some companies are going all in, like Boston-based startup Indigo. I absolutely am a believer that carbon credits are, are part of the move to uh, reduce the overall pressure on the atmosphere. Chris Harbert is Indigo's chief strategy officer. Unlike other ag companies like Bayer, Indigo is relatively young and focuses exclusively on sustainability. And Harbert says there's a reason they're zeroed in on agriculture. Right now, 
We could get every farmer on earth to change their behavior if we incented it correctly, and they have the infrastructure, the equipment, they're already dispersed across the globe to make that happen immediately. And that would cause a measurable change to our atmosphere. Harbert acknowledges that scale-up would be very difficult. It would mean totally revamping the way most farmers farm. And that's why Indigo offers short five-year contracts with farmers to avoid scaring them off with long-term commitments. But some say long-term commitments are necessary to reduce the concentration of carbon in our atmosphere. I mean, for the climate, we really need, I would say, durability of carbon stored on timescales of 100 years. That's, I think, what's really necessary to address climate change. Gianna Amador is a co-founder of Carbon 180, a nonprofit focused on reducing carbon emissions. She says when it comes to making a real dent in the climate crisis, we need to focus on how to reduce carbon overall, not just offset it. But she says paying farmers to sequester carbon is ultimately a good thing, because right now there aren't many incentives for climate-friendly practices, which can be expensive. What's exciting about these voluntary offset markets is it provides an incentives for farmers to shift practices and potentially helps with some of those financing challenges. If we want more farmers like Jason Lay, she says, we need to incentivize it. And Jason agrees. I mean, it's the obvious American answer. You give me more and I'll figure out how to do it. Money talks, he says. I'm Dana Cronin, Harvest Public Media. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including Iowa Public Radio. It reports on food systems, agriculture, and rural issues. Thanks for listening to Hear First from IPR News, which is a podcast you can, of course, find wherever you subscribe.